Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. Something weird happened last night. Uh, well, I, I went out and had a few beers with an old friend of mine who I have not seen since I did comedy in the Philadelphia area, so we're talking about 25 years. And I met up with him, and Joanne had gone to see the movie The Inconvenient Truth 2. She got tickets to the screening or whatever. And I came home, and then she got home, and I'm sitting there on the recliner watching TV, and I don't know if I fell asleep, but I swear I saw a mouse run across our floor. And then I sat there and I was like, is that a mouse? And then I didn't bother with it. And then I fell back asleep and I swear I saw the mouse again. And Joanne, she thinks I'm crazy. She thinks I dreamed it, dreamt it. And I don't know. So people, you're going to stay tuned for the next few weeks. I will tell you if the mouse is true. And I don't know if what mice do, what kind of damage. Hopefully they don't eat clothes because I have a closet full of clothes. And anyway... That makes no sense. But we have a great show today. We have a, we have a great uh, artist, uh, musician, was in a great band, still in a great band. They actually, they have a concert coming up in a few weeks. And a friend of mine, Nikki Watts, had, uh, Nikki Watts had posted a, a video of theirs on Facebook and said, oh, I was thinking of this song. And I said, I got to reach out and contact uh, the lead singer and founder, co-founder of the band. And it's Janet Gardner. How you doing, Janet? Good. How are you, Steve? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Now, have you ever had a mouse in your house? I've had, yes, I have my, and I just want to clarify for you, they won't eat your clothes or anything, but they will poop on them. Okay, okay, that's, that's, at least I can wash that, because it's funny, my parents, uh, well, my father passed away, and my mom had left the car in the garage, and mice got in the car, and they ate all the wires, so that's why I was a little worried. <laughs> so I don't know if they, I don't know if they eat clothing, though, I know moths do, so, okay. you know, you got to wash out with that, but. Um, yeah, they'll definitely destroy your car. I've heard that story a bunch of times. See, I just... Mice get in there and then somebody goes to start it and, you know, there's like mouse, fried mouse. All oh, yeah, the my, yeah they, they, it, it killed this car. But <laughs> I just, I just got to see if I was dreaming or not. I don't think I was dreaming, but... I, she, my girlfriend, has, she just moved. We just moved back from LA, but she lived here for twenty odd years, and she never saw a mouse. So anyway, so uh, we want to talk about you. So I got to talk. Are you, uh, when did you start playing music? When did you get interested in music? And because you know you've had, you had this career, and you you've been a you know your, your band's legendary, and I said you're still touring, which is awesome. When did you find your interest in music? Were you a young kid, or did you sing as a kid, or how did it all start happening? Uh, yeah, my family was fairly musical. My mom was a very good pianist, and my father played the violin. So there was always music in our house, and I started, you know, playing piano when I was, I don't know, probably nine or ten. So I did that for a while, and then I begged my mom to let me switch over to, to guitar, which she reluctantly let me do. And then, you know, I started doing some talent shows and things like that and forming little bands and and that kind of stuff. And, yeah, it's always been a part of my life. It's always been, I've always been a fan of music and, you know, love to make music. What were some of the bands you listened to when you were a, a younger kid and then a teen? I mean, who were some of your influences? Well, I had four older brothers and they all had very different tastes. So I was exposed to a lot of very diverse styles of music. One of my brothers liked rock, so there was Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith and Deep Purple and all of that, liked hard rock. Another one of my brothers kind of liked more of the um, 
solo artisty kind of stuff, Elton John, um, you know, Billy Joel, people like that. Um, another one of my brothers liked sort of southern rock and bluegrass, so I heard a lot of Molly Hatchet and, and stuff like that. And my mom really liked R&B, so I heard a lot of Aretha Franklin's Greatest Hits and Dionne Warwick and that kind of stuff, and my dad liked jazz. So <laughs> I was exposed to everything growing up as a kid, and I pretty much liked everything, depending on my mood, and just certain songs would move me. It didn't really matter what style it was, but when I started playing guitar and stuff, I definitely started leaning more towards the rock stuff and heart came out and I remember when Boston came out I was like wow that's amazing listen to those vocals and those guitars and that was always sort of my leaning but I still love all different kinds of music and I love to listen to different kinds of music and I'm definitely influenced by you know different styles and different things in life different moods so you're, you're, you're learning the guitar, you're, and it's great to get all those influences, because I'm the same way. I love all different kinds of music. I don't really like the uh, newer stuff, but when I, when I go through, like, serious, you know, I, I'll go from first wave to hair nation to classic vinyl, and it's great. It, it gives you, you know, a rundown. You can pick and choose what song you want to hear. But now, when did you start get joining bands and start playing? Now, you, you grew up in Montana, right? Yes. Um, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a, a booming music scene where, where I grew up. <laughs> so, um, you know, I did little things with friends from school. It wasn't really official bands. We would get together for like a talent show or something like that. Um, I didn't really join my first official band until I was my first year in college. Now, where's... That's when... Uh, I joined a local band, and we played, you know, cover songs. We had a couple original songs. We, we'd play in front of five people, <laughs> ten people. We played in situations we never should have been in, you know. Yeah, we'll play a wedding. We didn't know any wedding songs. <laughs> it, was fun. it was fun, though. We, you know, we were definitely freely discovering music together. And I also did a thing right out of high school called The Young Americans, which was a totally different thing. That wasn't at all rock. It was more show tune kind of things. We did like a tribute to George Gershwin and, and that kind of stuff. And that really helped me with my comfort level on stage because I was very shy, sort of introverted, and it was very hard for me to get on stage. So that really helped me... It boosted my confidence and gave me a certain comfort level on stage performing. Now, at what... So we, so we, okay. With that, too, we went all over the world. We went to Japan, we went to France, we went all over the United States. So that was a fun experience. And you were getting yeah, and you were getting play in front of all of the first crowds, which is great. Now, at, w at what point... I mean, that was a great experience, but at what point did you decide that you, you really wanted to make music your life, and how did you go about that? Uh, ooh. Um, well, I moved to L.A., you know, small town Montana girl, thinking I was going to get 
blown out of the water and, you know, not have a prayer. There's too much competition, too many great people. And, you know, I'd go back home and settle into something, you know, go home with my tail between my legs. But I didn't do that. Once I got there, um, I just started networking, meeting people, got into bands out there, started to get in more original bands. I did some cover band stuff. And during all that time, you know, I was doing other things to make money. And finally, I got to the point where my, you know, my needs were very simple at that time. I needed a place to crash and, you know, that was about it. So, um, yeah, at one point I thought, well, I'm just going to go for this. I'm going to quit my job, do music full time, and really kind of never look back. So you decide that. Now, what avenues do you take? Do you decide to create a band? What do you do to make that dream and your decision take action? Well, I didn't do that. I went to auditions. And I just got out there and played, and, you know, you occasionally would get approached with an opportunity, and I would check out the opportunity. If it was something I was interested in, I would either audition or send them a demo tape or something like that, and I just kept getting out there and going to auditions. I didn't really, at that time, I didn't really want to form my own band. I kind of wanted to just join one. Um, I thought about it a few times, and uh, other things would come up. It would be like, oh, well, this, this looks good. I like, I like what these guys are doing. And so I'd go right with different people, and, you know, people would approach me to sing on demo tapes and things like that. And all of that kind of just helped the one thing lead to another. And eventually, I was playing in a band, and Vixen's manager approached me. So that was kind of the start of that now what kind of music were you playing in these other bands because you know you you have a such a broad taste in music and you seem you know you sang more show tuny stuff so you, you have range like what were, what was up what were you playing metal that whole time or rock or what were some of the early bands in la that you were playing what kind of tunes would you guys play it was definitely pop influenced rock some of it was kind of more on the bluesy side a little more um you know, early Aerosmithy kind of stuff, attitude Some of it was that. One band I was in was definitely more mainstream, pop, rock-oriented, more of what, you know, Vixen did back then. Uh, one of them was kind of punky, and I had pink hair for a while. Okay. <laughs> I was experimenting, you know, whatever I... If, if the band had something that appealed to me, I would give it a try. So, yeah, did, still doing all different kinds of stuff. So, so when you got approached for Vixen, were, was that like the only metal, glam, all-female band? And what did you think? I mean, was it something like you're like, this is really cool? Or did you think maybe... Will people accept this? Because, you know, the metal, the metal scene to me was always very masculine. Um, you know, when you're young and excited about something, that doesn't, that didn't really cross my mind. I would never look at anything. You never look at the limitations of something. And at first, when I was first approached, I didn't know it was an all-female band. 
He said, I got this great band. You'd be perfect for it. I'm going to bring the band tomorrow night. So he shows up the next night, and I'm looking for a musician-y looking guys, you know, at the bar or something. I don't see anyone, and he's there, and he says, I said, well, I thought you were going to bring the band. He said, oh, yeah, they're right over there. And it was, you know, Jan and Lori and Dixon at the time. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't throw me off or anything. And the thing that really appealed to me once, you know, I sat down and talked to them, and we... They had learned some of my original songs from a different band, which was really nice. So when I went to audition, they knew a couple of my songs, and I had learned a couple of their songs. And it just felt really comfortable. And I liked it that it was all female because we related so well, and I wasn't like sort of the chick in the band. So uh, that's why I, that's why it appealed to me, and I didn't, I didn't really think of the novelty part of it. Other people kind of piled that on top of it. Oh, and by the way, you know, this is a really marketable kind of cool thing. Um, and then, yeah, I did find out we hit a couple of brick walls because we were all female and we were like, well, you can't be doing that kind of music. Why don't you do country? Like, well, because that's not what we do. <laughs> right. isn't, that, isn't that crazy? It's just like crazy that, yeah. that people are like, no, and they expect something. And you're like, well, no, we're just musicians. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, for me, music's music and rock is rock. I mean, I'm sure, you know, people always run into that and in, in all different and boundaries. But that must have been so frustrating because back then people weren't nearly as open-minded as they are now. Oh, definitely. And, and people were much more outspoken about it. I mean, it still exists, but, you know, most of the time nobody will come flat out and say that, that I don't like them because they're a bunch of girls trying to play rock, you know, that it's, it still exists, but it's, you know, people don't come out and flat out say it anymore. So you guys... And there is less of it. And you know what, I have to say, we always had a lot of female fans, a lot of female support, which really helped because there was some, you know, pushback from guys. And yeah, that is good because you know if the females are going, guys are going to go because there's females there. That's just what guys <laughs> think. <laughs> exactly. If you guys are smart, you'll go to a vixen show. Now, do you you guys get you f get formulated? Now, do you start playing gigs or do you go into the studio or what's? How does the band evolve into getting a record deal deal and then getting a following? Do you start off just hitting clubs and then you get signed, or do you get signed right off the bat? No, there was a big scene in L.A., so we were all at, when I first joined the band, Jan was the only one in it of the Vixen that most people know. Um, there were a couple of other players, and so we just started playing shows of all original music. We never played cover songs in Vixen, and we would get, we toured, we went and played clubs. Sometimes it would be packed with, like, hundreds of people, and sometimes there would be ten people. And so we played and played and played and played and played and kind of made a name that way. Then we came back to L.A. and we said, we can't just keep doing this because we're not getting anywhere. So we made some demos, and we started playing the L.A. scene. We started playing the Troubadour and the Country Club and the Roxy and, and doing that consistently and writing more music, and we got a manager. 
So uh, he kind of helped us do some better demo tapes and hooked us up with some people to to get that done. And then started shopping it and got got a deal with EMI. Now, when you so were, then we were off and running. When you were playing the L- L.A. when you came back, was that the height of metal? Was that like the Sunset Strip was just crazy? Like cause I saw a documentary about it, and I I moved to L.A. in mid of uh, early two thousand. Um, what was the scene like back then? Was it as crazy as they said? Was every place packed? And was it great to be a musician at that time? Oh yeah, it was great. It was a blast. Not a care in the world, you know. Bands supporting each other, you know, people were out every night, any night of the week, you could go out on a Monday night and there would be a club packed with people, seeing a band, seeing Poison, you know, Guns N' Roses was around, Warrant was around, it was um, very, very fun and it was a very prolific time where people were just Bands were thriving. It was great. Now, how did how did you get along with your peers, like like with the Poison and the Warrants and those other bands? Was it a big community? Because I heard the metal. I mean, there of course, like anything, there's going to be conflict between some people. But I heard them. A lot of the people I've talked to, it seems like the metal community was very supportive of each other. And you had just mentioned that. But what, how was how was your reaction? Who were some of your allies back then? Well, everybody went to see everybody. So. Um, you know, I remember the guys from Quiet Riot coming to see us. Brett Michaels was there one night. Um, you know, and we would go see them. Uh, that's how we met Roxy. We went to see Lita Ford, and her band Madam X was opening for her. So we went to see them at the... I, I went with a friend to see them at the Country Club in Reseda. So, yeah, everybody was pretty supportive. I'm sure there was some underlying competition here and there, but... No, it was, it was pretty, everybody kind of rooting for everybody. So you, you And get, it's still that way. It's great. Everybody, you know, we see everybody on cruises and at these festivals and everybody's friendly and having a great time and happy to be there. Yeah, I've seen, you know, those, those cruises are such a good idea. I mean, and there's so many great bands. And it's great because also, you know, I don't want to age myself, but you don't see a bunch of punk kids. You know what I mean? It's like, it's people who are there to have fun and to enjoy the music. I've never been on one, but I see the lineups and some of them are amazing. Yeah, it's great because there were bands that I never got a chance to see back in the day because we were too busy touring. I had never seen Cinderella and they played on the first Monsters of Rock cruise that we did. And it was amazing. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Never got a chance to see them. So I, I get to be a fan and that's great. And it's so stress-free. You don't have to park. You don't have to drive. You don't. You just walk in and see a great band. See, that's awesome. It's awesome. Now, so you're you're touring. You get your record deal. What is it like when you go into the studio? Because you know, had you guys really played together in a studio? You've made demos, but now it's an album. Was it? Was it? Uh, did you have to get adjust to it, or did you just come naturally to play in the studio? No, it was a rude awakening. We were definitely a live band playing live and that fly by the seat of your pants. We weren't used to being picked apart like that. And so, yeah, that was the first album was a little rough in the studio. It was hard to kind of stay positive. You feel like you're being beat up constantly. 
but everybody got through it okay, and we got a great result. So at the end of the day, everybody's happy. And I remember, too, as a singer, reading some interviews with Joe Elliott that talked about how torturous it was to make some of those Def Leppard records, and which were, as we all know, amazing. And, you know, he said that, you know, his confidence would be in the toilet sometimes after a day in the studio. So I, I would just kind of tell myself that, like, I'm not the only one going through this, right. you know, it's, it's all to the good end result. Now, you're, so. reco you're recording the first album, and now I believe Richard Marks co-wrote a song with Fee Waybill. How did that come about? I mean, how did, did they... I don't, was he as known then, or how did they sit there and approach you with a song, or did your management take care of that? We had the same manager, so we knew him. We had visited him in the studio while he was making his first album, and we got to kind of know him a little bit. You know, they would have backyard picnics and for, you know, all their artists, and we would go there, and so we would got to know him a little bit and he kind of got to know what we were about so it was kind of a natural thing his record came out while we were still working on ours and of course we all know what happened it took off so he was gone touring a lot but he still you know would be in touch and say you know i still want to do a song with you guys so finally he had a little break in his schedule we all got together at a rehearsal studio he kind of went through what the idea was. We worked on it a little bit, hummed a melody to me, so I kind of got familiar with it. And then, boom, we were in recording it. Now, that was one of your biggest hits. Did you feel it was going to be a hit when you when you started playing it? Did you sit there and go, this, this is something special? I knew after everything was done, I sang it. We did all the background vocals. I went and took a break, sat in the other room for a while, and they did a rough mix of it and said, come on in and listen. They had done the, you know, the vocal comps and everything. There was, it wasn't mixed yet, but they had a rough up. I got goosebumps, and that's when I knew. I was like, this is awesome. You know, you never know what's going to happen. You don't know if other people are going to feel that way. But, yeah, I was, I was pretty excited about it. What goes through your mind when, when that, that moment? Is it a very surreal experience when you're sitting there and you're hearing your own voice and you're getting goosebumps and you know it's something special? What goes through, you know, what goes through an artist's mind when that happens? Well, I normally hate listening back to myself, honestly. You know, you hear actors say that, oh, I don't like to watch my own movie. It's the same thing. I normally don't like to listen to myself very much. So... Yeah, that was pretty cool that I actually heard it and, you know, it was definitely not me feeling myself. It was the whole picture. It was the song and, you know, everybody played it great and it was just, it was, a, it had like a magical moment to it and I could feel that. It was awesome to, to be a part of that. So the, the album gets finished. What is you, as a band, what are your expectations for the album? And was there certain expectations that the record company had for your album? And how did they start to market you guys? How did you start, you know, getting the word out about Vixen? Well, the record company did what they usually do, was they got their radio people on it and tried to get it played on the radio, first and foremost. 
And I will never forget the first time I heard it on the radio. I was driving down the 101, listening to KLOS, and boom, we were on KLOS. We were on one of the biggest radio stations in the country. I had to pull over. Well, it's I had good. to pull over. I was just so blown away. I had to go to a phone booth and call my mom. That's that's I'm dating myself. That's, that's <laughs> funny. No, as I say, you know, if you're going to date yourself, where you're saying you're driving on the 101, because usually we're just parked there because it never moves. It doesn't move. It's like, yeah, well, I was parked on the 101. I do remember I was in traffic. Yeah, but so now you heard it. So, yeah, I mean, so it just, is that when you sit there? I mean, in your mind, you must have said, I've made it. I mean, you know, just for the fact that, even whatever, you know, as a young person and whatever, not thinking about what's going to happen in the future, when you hear yourself on KLS, you're right, which is a huge station, and it is LA, and radio was much bigger back then than it is now, that must just be a, the, the total sense of accomplishment. Oh, it definitely was. It was one of those, you know, if, if I die tomorrow, I, I, I'm a happy woman. <laughs> it was very, very satisfying. But, you know, at the same time, you still don't know what's going to happen, and and there's excitement and nervousness and all different kinds of mixed emotions. Now, i got to ask you, I read, and how did you guys end up in the movie Hard Bodies? Well, that preceded all of this. I can't even remember how that came about exactly. The, the version of Vixen before I joined was working on an EP. And somebody had submitted it or something for the movie or something. And this was before I had joined Vixen. Okay. So when I joined, we were kind of trying to figure out some new songs and switching some, some things over because obviously there was a new person in the band and I didn't fit with what they were doing before totally. So we were kind of in the middle of doing that. And I don't remember how it came up. Somebody... I don't recall. <laughs> but uh, at that time, you know, we we were in L.A. We were playing. We were um, working on that, and we needed the money. And it was some decent money. So we're like, yeah, okay. It was a fun experience. And you got to be in a movie. So now, now when the band, you hear the song, and now you guys start the tour... Who are you going on tour with? And you're playing bigger venues, I'm sure. What is that like as a performer to be in a bigger venue when you were, as you said, playing clubs in front of a few hundred or ten? How did you adjust to that? That was that was pretty easy, actually, because you're still doing what you're doing and you're still just having fun up there. It was a little more nerves. Our first tour was actually Eddie Money, which was kind of an interesting opening slot yeah it worked we played colleges and things like that and people were going crazy and having a good time the arena thing was kind of a big jump we played our first arena tour we opened for the scorpions in europe and that was a different animal that was a huge stage a huge venue and huge roaring crowds, not like, yay, where you can kind of make out people clapping and stuff. It was like, rawr. So that was a lot of goosebumps. Now, as a lead singer, how do, how do you uh, get you know used to that? Because you, I mean, everyone looks, you know, you're the lead, when the lead singer, 
you're the front person. You know, you're the person that people look to. Was it easy to get used to once? I mean, I'm sure your singing was thrown off a little bit because the crowd reaction and the noise. How do you adapt to that? Well, Vixen was kind of different because there was less pressure on me because there was a lot of interesting things to watch. You know, it was girls on stage and, you know, Roxy back there behind the drums and, you know, she's a great showman and there was a lot going on. So I didn't really feel that much pressure like, everybody's watching me. You know, there was so much going on on stage. But, yeah, it was different. The, there was a much, much bigger audience to play to. People way up high in seats and, you know, you're used to kind of a more intimate setting. So I think the way in between songs, too, I had to adjust how I spoke because I was used to being very casual. Like, you know, you're hanging around with a bunch of friends. Here we are. We're playing music. It, it was a little bit harder to kind of like, okay, if there's dead air on stage where there's nothing going on, it's very noticeable. Whereas at a club, it's not so noticeable. You know, you go drink some water, adjust something, there's a little bit of dead air. Who cares? So, you know, we, we worked on the set a lot and pacing it, making sure that it, you know, was like a freight train coming at you rather than a stop and start kind of that kind of thing. But you know, it, it was all a learning experience. Now, as you were you were playing, and now when did you start making, start figuring out you needed to do a second album? Were you starting to write, or how did that come out? Because the album did well, and you were touring, and you opened for some very big bands. I mean, who were some of the bands you opened for? Uh, we did Eddie Money was first. We did Bad Company. Then we did The Scorpions. We did Ozzy and White Lion. And I, then we did we did some headlining shows too. We headlined in Japan. We did some headlining shows in the states. We did some headlining shows in Spain. Um, yeah, we were going nonstop. What is for the a couple of years? What is the fascination? I asked my guest this yesterday. I had Michael Sweet from Striper on. What is the fascination with heavy? And he had an answer. What is the fascination with heavy metal and Japan? It seems everyone I've talked to they say Japan. The fans are insane, especially when it comes to metal. What do you think the fascination is? I have no idea. It was funny because you know we. We went there, and we didn't know what to expect, and it was crazy. It was like the Beatles showed up or something. There were people at the airport. There were people at the hotel. There was people giving gifts and crying and screaming, <laughs> and it was insane. I have no idea. And it was funny, too, because there were a lot of young girls at our shows, and so they would chant before the show. Vixen, Vixen, it was adorable. <laughs> so, but, that, but they're so, but they're so polite. They were so polite. They do go crazy for it, but not in the way that people go crazy, like in Germany, where people are like, you know, it's like a mosh pit, and you know, people throwing each other around and slamming each other, and blah. it's not like that at all. It's very reserved enthusiasm. Very polite, 
reserved enthusiasm. Well, it was back then. I don't know what it's like now. When you were, when you were, as you said, you guys were constantly going touring. That must become sort of grueling. I mean, how do you do? You ever get to a point where you're like, where the hell am I? I mean, I mean, you're playing the music. You're playing probably every night or five or six nights a week. How do you keep yourself in not in shape, but just? How do you keep your stamina up? Because you probably have to do radio. You probably you're probably after the show you're out late probably you know because you're still networking and you're promoting yourself. I mean, what were what was a normal day for you like when you guys were constantly on the road? How long would you be at the grind? Well, we would usually travel overnight. So I don't even know where to start in the cycle of okay. The day would begin with us waking up on the bus in a new town. We would wake up, go into the hotel, eat something, shower, get ready to go. We would have either radio interviews where we would have to, you know, go to a radio station, in-store record signings, um, things like that. And then we would go to sound check in the afternoon. Then eat something, maybe do some more interviews at the venue if there's other, you know, things that needed to be done. Sometimes go back to the hotel and get ready for the show. Sometimes we would just stay at the venue, depending on what the accommodations were and how much time we had. Do the show, go back to the hotel, hang out for a while so the crew could finish doing what they would do go get back on the bus, and then go to the next town. So it's funny. It's not as glamorous as people say it is. It's a lot of idle time, too. Yeah. the You know, the travel thing, you, you adjust. You get used to it, and it's your routine. When we would get home off the road, I would have a hard time sleeping because I was used to sleeping on the bus. Right. I was used to sleeping on that with that little noise and the kind of motion. And so we would get home and I would lay in this like bed and it would be like, I can't sleep. So you, you kind of adjust to it. Now, after you're done touring, when do you go into the studio for your, to release your second album? And was that an easy process? Was it easier than the first time or how did that go about? <clears throat> yeah, we got home and we immediately started working on the next one. We started writing and rehearsing. We had a lockout on the studio, so we would show up and everyone sort of presented ideas. We did a round of, we had ended up with about 16 songs from various sources, some from us, some co-wrote with other people. And we did 16 songs in just like a couple of days, quick demos, just pretty much playing it live on the tape so that we could kind of, you know, come pick out which ones we thought stood out the best after recording them. And then we did that. Then we found a producer that we were really comfortable, um, Randy Nicholas, RIP. He passed away a while ago. We felt really good about him. So we got in the studio and just worked really, really hard on that second album. Really hard. When you finished it, were you very happy with the, with the end result? Very happy, yeah. We, uh, at, at the end of it, too, 
we went through a few different people trying different people on mixing and we ended up using Mike Shipley God who is also no longer with us I'm, I'm hating this conversation right now um he um you know he had mixed some of the Def Leppard stuff amazing amazing ears and he did just a phenomenal job when those mixes came back it was like wow this sounds really great so yeah that was really, we, I think we were re, all really happy with the way our second album came out. And then now do you go and tour after that again? Yeah, I think we went directly to Europe and opened for Deep Purple for a few months. See. And then during that time, we didn't really know much that was going on because, you know, we're busy. By the time we came back here, it was dead. By the time we got back onto the stage the record was dead so how, how do you react to that I mean, I mean yeah i mean it's like it's like something like and i i do that i see that with people who've been i've interviewed who've been on tv you know the shows that they're so happy with the show and they get canceled what happens when you know you have this great album and then you sit there and you say it's dead i mean it must be so frustrating Yeah, it was. It was kind of a, I remember calling the president of the label and talking to him about it. And, you know, I mean, he had to have known how crushing it was. He was pretty cold. He was just, you know, matter of fact, nah, it's not happening. See, that's crazy. Well, Thanks for the support. I mean, they had kind of just dr- dr- completely dropped the ball when it didn't do what they wanted it to do. So, yeah, bummer. And so is that one of the reasons why the band then broke up or what caused the breakup? Yeah, there was a lot of behind the scenes, some political things going on between management and record company and that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the scene had completely changed. So we were trying to figure out what to do as a band, and we didn't agree on it. There were people all over the place, different writing ideas, different, you know, what we had known was all different now. Everything had kind of changed and we had some internal problems, some external problems. It was a big fat mess is what it was. So yeah, we ended up going separate ways at that time. Now, what do you, then what goes through your mind then when that happens? I mean, you're, you're a skilled musician, you know, but you're with this band and the genre that you were playing is, somewhat disappearing what went through your mind and what what did you try to do to make it work well the bass player from Vixen Cher and I put together another band that was a little bit of a different style it was a little more bluesy kind of bluesy thing and we got some other musicians in the band we auditioned some people we had a band together at that time, Jan and Roxy were working together on some other projects and had a different singer that they were working with. And we all, you know, we were trying to move forward. Everybody was trying to 
do what we love to do. And, um, you know, we got some record company interest, the project that Cher and I were doing, and crazy things in the music business, you know. We were upstairs talking to um, someone at a major label that said, yeah, let's make this deal. All you have to do, you know, go down to the legal department and, you know, and I'll, I'll forward it down there and we'll, we'll make this deal. By the time we got there, he had changed his mind. Wow. <laughs> so another, another what? Yeah. You know, sort of blow to the head that you're like, seriously, this is a whacked out business. Whacked out. It's not, so it's not fair. It, it didn't, it, it was sort of, it was sort of, I felt like it was sort of a hostile environment for those of us that were popular in that late 80s time period. So for me, I just, I settled around with some solo stuff. I wrote some songs by myself. I ended up kind of doing, wanting to do more of a family thing and music became more of a hobby for me for a while. And I, you know, focused more on my family, my son, went back to school, went back to college, got a degree, got a normal job, and, you know, the music kind of took a back seat for a while, even though it was always there, and I would always pick up the guitar and fiddle, and I didn't do a lot of shows. And then, you know, I, I had a feeling that at some point, that sort of backlash would subside and people would look more fondly on what we did in the past. And sure enough, eventually it happened, but it took a while. How did you guys get to get back together, your first reunion? I mean, how does that happen? Do you reach out to each other or when you, you know, you got together again, what was that like? Well, there was um, a VH1 show called Bands Reunited. And we all showed up for that, you know, where they sort of ambush you and put you on the spot and say, you know, we want Vixen to get back together for one show, da-da-da. So we all agreed to do that. And it was great to see everyone. And I think we did sort of resolve a few of those little issues that were still kind of standing in the way. And it felt good, but nothing really happened right after that. Jan had a different incarnation of Vixen that was um, outperforming, and they were, I think, getting ready to make a record. So she was still out doing that. And then at one point, I think Cher, yeah, Cher kind of reached out to me and Roxy and said, you know, you guys want to do something? So we formed a different band with Gina Style. It was called JSRG. So we did a, a, the first thing we did was a Monsters of Rock cruise, and that went really well. And then Jan actually kind of reached out to us and said, well, maybe we should all get together and do an original Vixen lineup. And that was very exciting, and we were all just completely on board, and we were making out set lists and figuring out what songs we were going to do. Maybe we were going to bring out some different songs that none of us had played in a long time, some deeper cuts from the first two records and 
everybody was really excited. And um, then we got a call from Jan that just said, I have this little stomach issue. So just, you know, give me, give me a little bit of time here to see what's going on. We we're like, oh, okay, well, you know, feel better not knowing, having any idea what was going on. And then I don't know how much longer before she called us and said, I, you know, I have ovarian cancer. And so, you know, we asked for a few more details and she said, you know, it was stage four. So, of course, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I'm Googling it and finding out, you know, that there's a horrible survival rate. And so she... You know, she's a very private person, so no, we didn't, of course, didn't say anything publicly. And we just, you know, were rooting for her, and things would go a little bit better. You know, we'd call her and she'd say, yeah, I went for a bike ride today. I felt pretty good. And they're like, yay, she's getting better. And, you know, everything was just kind of on hold, and we were just, you know, on pins and needles and hoping and praying and sending her everything type of possible energy that we could and then a couple months later she took a bad turn and she was gone so then of course that leaves us to go of course grieving and just so regretful that we didn't get together before then and and make that happen because you know it never it never happened we never got to do that but, um, so we, we kind of went our own ways for a little while and then kind of started talking, well, okay, now what, what do we do now? You know, she, she wanted this. Would she want us to continue or would she not want us to continue? And we talked to some good friends of hers and some people that said, yeah, I think she would want you to go out there and play those songs. And so we did. Now, we you... So, when you did that, what was the process of finding someone a replacement for her? Because it's got to be hard, but you have to have you, you need to you know someone who's going to do her right. You know what I mean? Is you know the same talent level? How did you did you audition a lot of people, or did you have someone in mind, or how did you get a replacement? Well, we went with Gina Style, who we had worked with in JSRG, and she had also done uh, an album with. Roxy and I, a Vixen album with Roxy and I in the 90s. So that was that was a pretty easy choice because she was very close to it, very understanding about what had gone on and how we all felt about it and was very, very respectful to Jan's memory. So it was a pretty easy choice. So you, you decide to get back together. When is your first gig and how pumped were you for it? Because... You know, it's you're giving your fans what they want. You're playing your music. You know the music that you loved. Where was your first gig? Was it a, was it a, the cruise or where did you play your first gig with this for the the new the Vixen the pretty much original Vixen? I can't remember exactly. It may have been oh maybe it was maybe it was one of the cruises. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the Monsters of Rock cruise. 
So when you wow, how about that? I can't remember because it, it. Well, that's you played so many gigs. So so when you guys started playing together, did you did, did you feel like you had the old magic back, and did you feel at home up on that stage? Yes, absolutely. Like riding a bike. You know, I mean, I, vocally, I was I was pretty rusty. I, it took me a minute to kind of get that back, but felt great. It was instantly fun. I, there was always that the, the sadness that it, it wasn't what we had hoped it was going to be. But, you know, there was always joy in, in getting up and performing and sharing music. So, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Now, how did the fans take to it? Were the fans glad to see you back? I mean, was everyone like, all right, we missed you guys? I mean, how was that when you, you know, you broke up and then you come back and then, you know, you have different, as you said, there was a different version of Vixen, which, you know, people, a lot of times people don't know. I mean, you have to do your research when bands break up because if someone was a Janet Gardner fan and they went to see that other version of Vixen and you weren't there, they'd be like, wait a second. You know what I mean? So, but now this was, you were back together. How were your fans? Were your fans excited? Did you feel a good buzz? Did people sit there and go, man, we're, we've been waiting for you guys to play? I mean, it must be great to come back to your fans. Oh, absolutely. It was great to walk out there and see people singing along. I mean, that's the greatest feeling in the world. People, you know, enjoying it and smiling. And you can tell they're, they're happy to be there with you. And that's the greatest. Yes, there was a lot of that. Now, through your career, have you guys gotten the, uh, I can't think of the word, I would say props, for, you know, for, you know, with the women's movement, you were one of, you know, there wasn't a lot of female, all-female bands, and you went into a man's world, and you kicked ass, and you sold albums. Have you gotten people, people written to you, and, you know, and you have young women written to you and said, you know, you guys made a difference. Do you ever get stuff like that sent to you? Because you guys did make a difference. I mean, I know to me it's all music, but to a young female sits there playing guitar, you know, and wants to play metal in a, in a, in a man's pretty much it was a man's world, you guys were, uh, you were in the forefront. You were groundbreakers. Have you gotten, like, accolades from people through your career and, like, nice emails? Oh, yeah, and that's the best feeling in the world when you get somebody that say, says, you know, I, I, I just formed a, an all-female band and you guys totally inspired us and we're having a great time. Those are the those are the things you always love to hear. That and of course people that say, you know, your music helped me through a hard time in my life. Those kinds of things you just you, there's no money you could receive on this earth that feels any better than that. That is the best feeling in the world. And even to this day, Roxy said she they have like a school of rock kind of thing going on. This was only a couple of days ago and it was a bunch of girls that got together from this school and they were going to play a concert. You know, they have like periodic things where they play and they were playing Edge of Broken Heart and she surprised them and showed up. They didn't know she was going to be there and she said it was just the greatest feeling in the world to see these girls up there playing Edge of Broken Heart and then they saw her and they were like, oh my God, you guys inspired us so much and so, yeah, 
that had to feel amazing to Roxy. Oh, I bet. That's, I mean, that's, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's a good stuff. Now, when you play now, how long of a set do you guys play? I know. I think I'm looking at your website. You're playing in Milwaukee. Oh, not Milwaukee, Manistee in Little River Casino in June, then you're planning again in August. How long do you guys, how long of a set do you guys play? And do you want to get out on the road more or are or you all past that pretty much? Just, you want to play dates here and there? Uh, let's see. First question, the set time de depends on what we're doing. Sometimes we'll play casino shows and we'll do more like a 90-minute set, like an hour and a half. When we headline, we do 90 minutes. When we're doing festivals, cruises, stuff like that, it's maybe 45 minutes to an hour. Occasionally, we'll do one where it'll actually be like 35 minutes where you feel like you just barely started and you're done. Those are kind of funny. That's rare. Most of the time, it's between 45 minutes and an hour and a half. Cool. And now, are you, do you plan to try to get more dates out there or are you, you all right just doing it occasionally? Um, I think everybody would like to play more. Uh, we do all have other things going that, you know, lives and, you know, I have a 14-year-old son and we have a lot of, we all have a lot of things going on. So I think for the most part we'd like to play more. Last year we played more than this year, so uh, it just kind of depends on what's out there. Now, now but you, we 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 look at every offer that we get to play, for sure. Now you have a fourteen-year-old son, so you probably go to PTA meetings and stuff like that. How, what's what are, are people like at all? Because it's like in LA, you know, and you lived in LA, and I've lived in LA. You know, you see celebrities everywhere. And now, when you go to like PTA meeting, or parents like, wow, that's cool. Like, I mean, how do people react to you? Because it's like you were in a band. You were a rock star. I mean, that's you don't get to rub up next to rock stars at like PTA meetings and stuff. How, how's the reaction to you when you're out and about? Well, some people freak out and some people are just like, oh, whatever. Some people go, oh, my God, I, when I was in high school, I loved you guys. And nah, nah, nah. you know, you get some people that are like that and other people who don't even know or care. Which it's all it's all good it's all fine. Now, what is it like for you when you play the show? Because I always ask bands this, and you see your fans. And as we get older, we turn younger people into music. What's the feeling for you when you see a mother and a father with their child who they turned on to Dixie music? Do you love that? Oh, absolutely! That is so great to see. I love, love, love that. I love seeing that. We we played um, Penn's Peak in Pennsylvania, and there was a kid that was out back waiting for us with his guitar and a little amp to play his, the songs for us. He learned crying. He learned Edge of a Broken Heart. He was probably 14, maybe. And it was just so heartwarming and so exciting to see a young kid like that that is inspired to play his guitar because of our music. It's, it was amazing. So, yeah, when we see things like that, and I see kids, too, like, all the time wearing Motley Crue T-shirts, and I'm like, yeah, that is that is so cool. 
Well, that's cool. Well, you know, what? I want I want to thank you for coming on. I enjoyed this talk. Um, I uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we could do this. Now, now you're you have a date coming in June in August. The website is vixenofficial.com, right? Yes, that and is correct. Now, mm-hmm. now, do you have your own website, or do you Twitter or tweet or anything like that, or does Vixen tweet? Um, <laughs> we're not we're not tweeters very much, but we do have a Facebook page. Okay. And um, that I think you just go to Vixen, you can find that, and then we all have personal Facebook pages. I have a Facebook page for my solo album, which is coming out soon in August, and that's. Just, I think, Janet Gardner official on Facebook. Well, cool. And I think that's it. Well, great. Well, I want to thank you. So people, go go, go Google Janet Gardner. Go Google Vixen. Go spend some money on those MP3s. Don't get the, the new stuff. Get this old stuff, because that's what music's all about. So go check it out. Go to YouTube. Look at their songs. And then, you know, you go out and you buy the album. And I still call them albums. It's fine. So if go to vixenofficial.com to get more information. <laughs> go follow Janet. Um, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. I'm at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 600 episodes. You can email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. Instagram is coopertalk1. I put pr- pr- show promotions up. And I put pictures of the food I make. Because as you remember, it was five years ago when I was in the hospital with a heart problem. Well, when I got out, I wrote a cookbook. And so you can buy my cookbook at go to stopthesalt.com. You can also get it on Amazon. But if you buy it at stopthesalt.com, I will buy it. I mean, I will sign it. And I make twice as much money. So you should go buy it at stopthesalt.com because you want me to make money, right? So anyway, people, go check out Fixin' Official. Uh, thank you, Janet Gardner. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.